dedicated to HBO's Game of Thrones and George R. Martin's Song of Ice and Fire book series. You're listening to Podcast Winterfell. Welcome back, everyone, to Podcast Winterfell. This is the fan call-in show for Season 7, Episode 1, Dragonstone, baby. Last night, we delivered you the initial reaction. That was uh, after the show dropped, and we're recording this on Monday night, but I think I'm going to drop these on Wednesday, so you've had a little time to digest. We're going to get into it. We do this on TalkShoe. Dot com. You can check that out. You can also go to our website, dvrpodcast.com, find out all the info. Follow us on Twitter at WinterfellPod. I always get that wrong, at WinterfellPod, um, to find out more about the uh, talk shoe thing. It's a little, it's pretty simple. We've been doing it for a long time. Matt did it for a long time. We used to do it in the lost days. It's like a conference call. You call in. And I unmute you. Uh, I do want to start off the show just by giving a huge thank you to our patrons, Tariq, uh, John, um, our man, uh, Kellum, and also we got one more Joe. So that's four so far, and uh, we're super excited that they are uh, getting with us. Go to patreon.com backslash DVR. And uh, let's just get into it. We've already got uh, one person on the line, and that is our good friend, Matt. So let's talk Game of Thrones. All right. There he is. Matt, what's up, baby? Hey, Axel. Thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. Uh, I know I keep saying I'm leaving the podcast, and, and I just keep coming back and giving you more opinions. <laughs> so, uh, you know, that, that's the way that goes. Uh, what did you think of this episode, man? Oh, I absolutely loved it. Um, I, you know, you and I, Axel, as, as well as Tracy, we did a, a special earlier talking about the GOT spinoffs, and we talked about a couple of things about pacing in that. And I, I think I exercised a little bit of hesitation about, I, I, you know, just as long as we don't miss big character moments, then I'm okay with the pacing being just bam, bam, bam. And I was really rather surprised because I think like a lot of you guys and a lot of people who were watching the show who had seen the last two episodes and read a lot of uh, magazine articles about the fact that the, the, the Game of Thrones was going to be paced much more quickly and you didn't know exactly when you would be in time and all of this other stuff. Um, we were expecting that same kind of maybe uh, season six, episode 10 format to come into season seven, episode one. And instead we did take the moments to pause and set the pieces and make the important character moments that still needed to happen, happen. And I I thought that Dave and Dan did that brilliantly. I, I was so excited by moments about the Hound, moments about Arya, even moments with Cersei and Euron. Uh, even moments with John and Sansa, there were there were so many great character beats in this, um, and yet the story didn't feel like it was pulling back. It still had that quicker pace that we got in in the last final episodes, but it didn't have to uh, alienate character moments. And I really love that because if if you're not caring about the characters, what's the point of having a story? 
Oh, I couldn't agree with you more, Matt. And, you know, it's funny. Um, we talk so much about the show, as does everyone else, I'm sure, who watches it. They're just not recording it, you know? You talk to your friends and your family, and you kind of get these thoughts in your mind. But then once the show starts, I just let it walk, like a wash over me, you know, and just accept it for as it is. And it, kind of, it wasn't even until the show was over and we recorded the initial reaction that I was kind of, you know, thinking along the lines that you're describing, which is that, um, this did, this felt, this felt like it could have been, um, in certain ways, in story beat ways, a season four episode, you know, it didn't, mm-hmm. it, it wasn't so far removed from that type of storytelling. Now, of course, then it did have things that normally one episode wouldn't have, which is dragons and white walkers and huge wide CG shots, sweeping vistas. You know what I mean? Like you could tell, I could tell while I was watching, I did get the feel of, I don't know, man, some of that sweet HBO cash. You know what I mean? As I was watching it. Uh, that I did get, but you're right. They definitely did not sacrifice character moments. I mean, look at the whole scene with Arya meeting the soldiers. That was in many ways completely unnecessary, you know? Right, right. And I I, I honestly feel like that that is um, setting up Arya seeing the other side of things. Yeah, Um, I love that. She's been bent on revenge for a long time. And hopefully, um, this is going to let her see that, you know, and I thought it was great symmetry that after killing every single fray that mattered, that she sees a bunch of Lannister guys that, you know, technically matter, but she's not going to take them out. She, She sat down with them and, well, I'm in Maybe we'll see off screen or maybe we'll find out off screen that she did take them out. Maybe that, that will be the case, but nonetheless, um, the thing that I really like about it, as far as Arya's storyline is concerned, is that it seems to me that every fray that she invited to that feast where she took them all out were people that were totally responsible for the destruction of her army. And, and yet you have these Lannister soldiers that, you know, they're really just there because they have to be. And they're you're just following orders and whatever. And I hope that that shows a point of distinction, which will make her not be this cold-blooded killer that a Jock and Hagar or uh, her, her arch nemesis from last season would be. Instead... Um, the distinction actually points towards Arya being able to use her skills for absolute good and for absolute uh, a center of morality as opposed to, uh, you know, just like something like Cersei, who didn't care how many thousands of innocents were killed uh, because she needed to take out 10 people. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I think, I don't know. It's, uh, Hmm. I, uh, I don't know how to say this. This is strange because as you were talking about Arya, 
and 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 setting that up i feel like i want to I, I don't know why but it reminds me of like the walking dead i don't know do you watch that show uh i haven't seen the last couple seasons but i have watched it up to like season five okay so i mean i think suffice to say you only need to really watch the first season to know that the constant struggle there is how how much of your humanity will you give up to survive? Mm-hmm. How much of your humanity will you give up to um, not only to prosper, you know, at each stage, how much you'll give up of yourself. And Arya, I think by choosing not to kill the actress, and then going to Jockin and saying, I am Arya Stark, I'm going home, was basically saying, I'm not going to, that's not the kind of killer I'm going to be. So that's why I think that I don't think she'll take out those Lannister guys, you know? I, I think that, right, right, right. I, 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 I think that what I'm trying to say is in a way like, I think unlike The Walking Dead, which circles around like every other episode, I mean, I do love the show, I watch it every week. But it's like, okay, Rick's bad. No, now he's going to kind of be a little bit more caring and not kill this one. Oh, no, but then he didn't kill him and they ended up killing this one. You know what I mean? Like the consequences of not killing someone can be just as disastrous. And I just feel like with Arya, I think we can kind of settle on that, that she can tell the difference between a group of old white men who made the decision to kill. And that's exactly why she also told Walder's wife not to drink. Right. Well, well and yeah. that's my exact point. Yes. Yeah. We definitely. Need to see right. Aria yeah. as a person who, who need, who has defined between what is good revenge and what is senseless revenge as opposed to Cersei who simply took out thousands of innocents as opposed, you know, just to kill 50. Oh, what's that? We lost you there a little bit, Matt. Okay. So that is exactly what I'm saying, that Arya has chosen to not kill innocents as opposed right. to Cersei, yep. Yep. who killed thousands of innocents simply to kill 10 people. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. No, I agree with you. I just wanted to bring that bring that back around to how this show I think is pretty good at, you know, it's just like with the Danny thing, back and forth, back and forth about am I going to kill everyone? No. And now I think once she had that conversation with Tyrion, we can see that, you know, for now, you know, she's going to but that's like her nature with her. <laughs> you know what I mean? Where with Arya her nature really is to be kind, I think, you know, so I think it's a little bit different there. And, um, I, I, I agree where I don't think it's going to, we're going to be in this circle of, you know, back and forth and back and forth of, is Arya going to kill, be a, you know, kill people for no reason. And I don't think she will. And I think that's going to aid her. Now, let me ask you a question here. Um, okay. I'm interested in this, and I uh, I see guest 15 is on the call. I appreciate it. I'm just going to well, – Matt, let's talk a, a point here, and then uh, I'll bring guest 15 on, and you're welcome to stay on the call, Matt, and we can just all – we can talk. Um, 
Thank you. So the question I had for you was, I saw some people in retrospect, I, and I said this on a couple podcasts, I have come to see the scene where Arya kills Walder Frey in a much better light, given that time passed. And then in, upon rewatching it, I considered to myself, hey, if that was Jockin, I would have no problem with not seeing any of the steps leading up to the murder, right? Because I get, he's a professional. So I now have to accept that Arya is a professional. Do you feel the same? How did you feel? I, I don't, I mean, it's been a year and a half. So if you can remind us how you felt during that scene, and do you feel that this new scene helps uh, solidify Arya's storyline better? I, I feel like that this episode helped justify what happened in, in the finale of season six a lot, in a, in a lot of ways. First of all, let me just say something uh, perfectly off the top. I, I was a big defender of the Arya storyline in season six, even though many people were against it. I feel like that this was Jock and Hagar's plan all along, was to get her the skills that she needed, but not hold her to the faceless man code that her nemesis wanted her to stay to. Um, I said that in a previous podcast, Winterfell, actually. But uh, the, the, the big key for me here is, is that the semantics don't matter. By the time that Arya was killing Walder Frey, I had accepted that she was a person who was perfectly capable of developing the cultures and whatever, regardless of the passage of time. And that whole last sequence where you have varies in Dorne in one minute and then on a boat over in Essos in the next minute shows you that time has passed. So you can't say that Arya didn't take the time to develop the relationships that she needed to to get infiltrated into that camp. It just, it just simply, you can't mathematically say that. She did take the time, but we didn't need to see it. And that was the beauty of the pacing of that episode was the fact that we don't need to see it because one scene told you about the time of the other. Their time had passed and, and Arya had done it. And you don't need to know. Her skills are complete. Her skills are complete. It was completed by the time that she beat the other girl when she was blind. Her skills were completely done. And so, therefore, um, you don't have to worry about how she found this other girl and wore her face. You don't have to worry about that. Now, was the other girl an innocent or not? Well, I mean, you know, there are, there are measures that have to be taken in the course of war. There are measures that have to be taken by Jock and Hagar to be able to throw a dart into the back of, of somebody who's about to report Aria. There, there are measures that have to be taken. And so you can't see Arya any different as Jockin at this point in time. The difference is, is that you can see that Jockin is tied to a code that Arya is not. And therefore, Arya has the ability to actually decide what the code is, which makes her actually more of a god than any of the other faceless men that may be out there. Good point, Matt. I like it, baby. And I agree. I'm glad that you see it that way. That's cool. And, and you illuminate it in a different way as well. 
Um, yeah, I am. I have fully let go of any issues I have with her storyline, except for the getting stabbed in the guts. I, I'm just. I, I okay. I've let it go. I'm not going to mention it anymore. <laughs> but uh, well, it, I, I, I still the, see that as a passage of time that we just didn't see. Okay, that's, and, that's the way that and, I look and at you that. Know, and you know what? I buy that because when I rewatched, I noticed that too. And, and, uh, and yeah. I, that she had probably been there for a couple of weeks, if not more. Um, so, and had really gotten to know more. So I, I can see where you're coming from. Um, all right, let's, uh, let's bring in whoever this is guest 15. So let's see, you are unmuted. Hello. Uh, you can introduce yourself and why don't you tell us what your rating, uh, from one to 10 of this episode was. Yep. Hello. Uh, my name's Steve. Um, I forgot my password for talk shoot, so I had to log in as a guest. I've called before. Cool, cool. And then I give it a rating of about um, 7 out of 10. It's grown on me as I've had a minute to digest it. Okay, cool, cool, nice. Um, what is there any particular point or character or scene that you want to talk about? Sure. I, I want to give my two cents on the whole um, area thing, where I see her as um, like a princess who's come home, too. So it's kind of paralleling Danny's storyline. And they both command. They're both like commanding their presence. Or like when Aria left, she was so afraid of any soldier. She's so leery. I feel like, you know, I use her wits and cunning to escape everything. And now she sees like a group of soldiers and knows she could kill them all with ease. And she just is in control of the whole situation. And I like that about her, where she's going and how she's just like getting down to business. I love that analogy of her to Danny. Matt, what do you think of that? Oh, I think that, I think that that's great too. Um, let's, not forget that Arya named her direwolf after Nymeria, who was a woman who came over from Essos and conquered Dorne. And um, in a way, Arya is coming back in her own way to right the wrongs uh, and kind of, at least from a personal sense, conquer Westeros. So I, I think that's a great analogy. Thank you. There you go. I like it, baby. Um, what uh, was there anything else in the episode? Uh, what did you think of the uh, Danny stuff, Steve? Well, I, I was you know, anytime you see the dragons, or it's great. Um, I like that she got down to business too, and just kind of uh, you know, like this is my spot now. Yeah. Got her, you know. A top advisor right there is getting ready to call everybody in and just, you know, we're going for it. So I wish there was more action with her, though. Like, it felt like a lot of the episode was setting up for, like, next episode, you know? I mean, yeah. I'll just kind of, like, show where everybody's at and, you know, is like, what's going on in the North and what's going on with the Hound and, you know, kind of the Cersei and Euron. I felt like that was the only really like 
action-packed, unexpected, moving the story forward. You know, like mm-hmm. I'm really curious about what his gift is going to be. You know, how he, like, you know, seeing insults at Jamie left and right, calling him out, oh, yeah. basically, or foreshadowing, you know, however you want to look at it. I'm about killing your family and how he has two hands. <laughs> uh, pretty bold, you know, like right there. And uh, <laughs> that was not. Did you I, so if I could ask a question real quick. Yeah. Oh, of our guest here. Sure. Okay, so the the Danny thing, uh, you you liked it, but you was hoping for more action in terms of that sense. Yeah, what, it was her in that what, episode. Yeah, what did you feel, though, about the emotional impact? I mean, for six seasons, we've been waiting for Danny to come home. We've been, this is what we've been wanting. We've complained about the fact that she didn't make it home in season three or season four or season five. What is she doing in Marine, right? So did you not, I love the fact that all of the characters were trying to stay back other than Tyrion, and he even kept yeah, a safe totally. distance, you know, letting her feel the emotion of actually being home. Did that, did that resonate with you at all? You know what, it kind of, um, <laughs> I hate to pull in a sports analogy, but there's a running back back in the day where Barry Sanders, you know, in the mm-hmm. 90s, and his whole thing is, he would score a touchdown and just drop the ball off to the ref and act like he's done it a hundred times, you know, I kind of feel like that's her attitude. She just scored another, you know, it's like a huge touchdown, won the Super Bowl and everything, but she's just like, you know, so nonchalant about it almost. It didn't impact me as it wasn't this like teary eyed, cheery, you know, where everybody comes out and they're throwing, you know, confetti. It was very business-like. I guess it didn't like, you know, it had the dragons fly over. Visually, it didn't sock me emotionally as I was feeling more like just with Aria. I feel her a lot more emotionally and John and Sansa and those guys. Wow. Like, it's kind of calm before the storm, I guess, with Danny. Yeah. I I think for me, I wanted the dragons breathing fire and I wanted the, the, I guess, the chaos of her return. Wow, interesting. See, for me, that was very emotional because of my own personal interest in it. And when she reached down to touch the sand, it's just like that was a moment that was very emotional for me because she, she, she was like, I'm placing my hand in the place that I've always wanted to be. Um, and didn't even know that I wanted to be until the Saris was telling me this is where I wanted to be. And then well, that's probably the story that she touched when she left, right? If she would have... Uh, yeah, that, was the, only, that was the only place in Westeros that she ever would have uh, been like in. She probably walked down that same staircase and lost on that same beach. Mm. No, she was just born yeah, had on Dragonstone. She, she, she doesn't even know her home. But right. to have that kind of connection with a place without even knowing it, to me, that was what was emotional about it. Yeah. You know, I have to say that, um, Steve, 
Uh, yeah. Steve, I loved your Barry Sanders analogy there. <laughs> okay? I love Barry That's Sanders, man. Uh, let me tell you something. They're just so cool about everything. Oh, I, I, you know, I was a season ticket. We're digressing from Game of Thrones, but I just have to say this. I was a season ticket holder of the New York Jets for 25 years. I saw every great player play from like 1985 to like maybe 2008. And Barry Sanders is the greatest ever. But I loved it even more because I felt the same way. I, I, I like the way you described it, Matt. You know what? I didn't find it emotional. She wasn't wow. even, she wasn't even, she was in the war room until I realized, holy cow, Danny's in Westeros. Like it took me that long to kind of figure it out because I liked the way she just went there. She touched it. Like I knew where she was, but you know what I mean? That realization we waited this long. She just, she took that moment and she went. And then I like what, like what Steve was saying. She just hand the ball off to the ref and started and get started getting ready to score another touchdown. And that's badass. Well, I, I mean, the badassness of it is, is fine, but I, I did find emotion and emotion in it as a fan. I'm not saying that Danny exhibited it. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is, is that if you are invested the moment in the story, if you are invested in yes, Danny yes, yeah, yeah. getting to this place, I, I don't understand how you could not feel emotional. No, about no, it, it hit now, me. Now maybe you're not advantage maybe you're not emotionally, you know, invested right, in I'm not really rooting right. for Team Danny. Yeah, no, no, okay. I am. Well, there I, you go, and there, and that's where the root of it is. There you go. Well, see, the thing for me is, I am. It's just that it happened later, is what I'm saying. It still happened, and I still had that emotional feeling, but I was kind of caught up in her action, and also in just that dramatic introduction to Dragonstone, because it was like. From a film perspective, it was so horribly established in the beginning. Oh, Axel, you let the bells and whistles get to you? Come on, man. <laughs> it was just terribly, they just didn't even establish it, you know, with Stannis. It was terrible. And the way they did it here was, it made me re think that they did that on purpose. Like they wanted to wait to introduce this place until Danny got there. It, because it was just, it was uh, amazing, man. Like, that's that staircase that walkway and bridge just the whole thing is just absolutely gorgeous man it's like breathtaking oh Imagine i totally they, agree with that. They, they totally they totally reestablished dragonstone um as opposed to prior seasons i mean you, you got a whole different kind of feel for the place um just in a short few minutes which i loved um but uh, for me, the focus was on Danny, and and when she first set foot on that shore and knelt down and grabbed that sand, I was just like, I was fist pumping. Yeah. I absolutely yeah. was. <laughs> so, uh, Steve, you think that uh, John Snow is going to send a uh, a little party over there to Dragonstone when he gets Sam's message? Or we set is this setting up a a Danny and John meetup? You think he's going to go? Is he? Would he go? I mean, maybe he would. Maybe he thinks he has to. It's that important. Would it be right? that? Would it be that easy to get on with Tyrion and Danny? <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah. You know, I kind of think he would send somebody down. I don't think he's going to deal with it. I hope it's not Littlefinger. But, you know, I, I think it's too early for the three of them mm. to meet up. Oh, somebody's getting spanked in the background there. What's going on live on this talk shoe call here, huh? What are you doing, Matt? Hey, what are you up to back there? <laughs> okay. Among his dog that can shake the oh. house with his tail. Yeah, it happens. Hey, uh, <laughs> hey. Um, so, Steve, if you think it's going to take some time, Matt, what do you think? You, do you think that they're trying to set up a Johnny meets Danny situation here? Wow. Uh, you know how much I hate to speculate, but... Um, it makes sense in the way that John and Tyrion have a decent relationship. Um, it also makes sense that if Sam's raven about Dragonglass gets to John, then and he realizes that Danny is there, then some kind of at least communication between them, even if not face to face, has to happen. Man. That is going to be something else, huh? What I mean, that is going to be like the internet's going to break. There's going to be so many memes or memes, as they say, when that happens. It's going to be, it's almost like played out before. I'm already tired of talking about it. It didn't even happen yet. <laughs> and I already feel like it's just going to be killed everywhere and it's going to be everything. And then like people are going to be cosplaying at work and at weddings. And it's just, it's going to get totally out of control. But uh, let's talk about something else. Um, Steve, what did you think of uh, the hound part of this? For me, uh, Matt, you were talking about emotion. This was the most emotional, and this was like, I almost felt like it was a mini movie. I loved it. Yeah, it just really shows you how much he's grown as a character, you know, and I thought it was um, interesting kind of how he's, died and lived again, you know, resurrected, so to say, and he's lived Barrack, literally died and resurrected, and how their, like, character and the Hound feels stronger, whereas Barrack looks like he's, you know, at his wit's end, just barely holding it all together, and then the Hound can see in the flames now, you know, is that a result of this tribulations or is it his you know do you always have that power or are they planning trick on him you know or what's up with that hmm. but it's interesting what he saw yeah that was that was awesome what do you think matt well i'm i mean for me <laughs> there's there's so much irony and there is so much um change for the hound that we've known um, since we first met him and, and, and feared him. But I, I think back even to the very first, I guess it w- actually it was the second episode of the very, uh, the very series, the Hound's interaction with Tyrion and how the Hound was like, you know, the little Lord isn't going to take you doing that to him. You know, the prince isn't going to take you doing that to him. And, and Tyrion was like, like, yeah, he's going to learn his lesson and just walked away. And the hound didn't do anything. And you go through that and then him with Sansa and then him with Arya where you start to really develop his character and 
how deeply he was affected by his encounter with, with the mountain. I mean, we'd heard that story from Littlefinger in season one, but you didn't understand the emotional impact of that with the hound until season, what was that? Season three, season four, somewhere in there. And suddenly the hound becomes a much more complex character than just this bad guy that rode down the butcher's boy. And when we had the, the scene here where he had to actually face his own injustices, he, he had to face up to the fact that because he had robbed this poor man and, and his daughter, that they ended up the way that they were. And instead of just choosing to dismiss it, as we might have expected him to. He instead, even though he deflected it to the others, he took personal responsibility for them and, and gave them a burial. And that was a great, first of all, it was a great book shout out. Um, as I, and I won't say anything more about that as book readers know, but secondly, it was, the showing of actual compassion in the first time. And maybe we'd seen a hint of that with Arya, but we had never seen that really as complete as we saw here. And you might say that just like a Thoros of Mir or just like a Melisandre or just like anybody else who was at their lowest point, I really feel like this was the hound's lowest point that enabled him to look into the flames that enabled him to be able to see things, which is the greatest irony of all seeing as how, you know, as you guys pointed out in the initial reaction, here's a guy who doesn't want to be anywhere near a flame. And yet he is pulling something from the flame of value. And, and I felt like that that was just absolutely amazing. I, it was, he was, always able to do that if he would have been given the opportunity or he had to like regress to a certain point. Who's to say, you know, the the thing is, is that we saw that Melisandre was able to show Stannis's wife something in the flames that she was agreed to agreeing to in season four. That's why they had to bring Shireen along. And we saw what that resulted in. So I don't know if seeing something in the flames is something that is intrinsic on a certain faith or if it's intrinsic on a certain kind of point of view or if it's a certain kind of um, self-evaluation. But I do know that if there's anybody who you would think that couldn't, see something in the flames. Somebody who had just called Beric Dondarrion basically a fraud. What the hell are you doing here? Because you're not any more important. I've met many men greater than you, and yet you keep being being brought back from the dead? What the hell is that? I mean, he's questioning the existence of a god. Just as Thoros had been questioning the existence of a god up until the time he was able to bring Beric back. It it seems like in the moment of the most doubt and the most self-awareness 
as the hound was about the two people that uh, the Lord of light or whatever force it is that is projecting these things in the flames presents itself to these people. Mm, yeah. He uses the agents. What's that? Or do you think that, do you think Lord of Light's using them as an agent for the cause oh, or I, they just, uh, you know, like go in the same direction? I have no way to speculate as to why the Hound was shown something other than comparing to the previous circumstances of people being able to see things in the flames. Right. And it's either total belief or total disbelief is what it seems to be. It seems to be one extreme or the other. Anything from that scene that um, Barrick has seen a similar image of the wall and the armies of undead and everything? Or did he see something new that they hadn't seen yet? I, I think what he was seeing... Um, by by the description um, and by the fact that it seemed like it was almost a little hit you over the head um, but John was sending Tormund to East, East Watch by the Sea and it seemed like that this was a, a castle by the sea um, it seems to me that uh, everything is pointing towards East Watch and I, I don't know um what that means, because we saw Brand pass through the gate at Castle Black, I would have thought, personally, that that mark uh, would make then make Castle Black the point of, of entry. But, um, you know, nothing makes sense as far as that goes right now. So. Oh, hey, I just want to interject and right. say, Matt, I'm glad that you mentioned that the mark on Brand's arm, because Heath and I talked about that. Now... <laughs> We might, uh-huh. we might see more of it, but I think we were all in agreement that that should have an effect on the wall in some way or the White Walkers, the magic. You know what I mean? We talked about that last season. So, yeah. But um, uh, this is good stuff, guys. I like it. Go ahead, Steve. You were going to say something. Uh, just, um, yeah, I like those, uh, that whole interlude with um, the hound but it like I still would like to see him kick us some ass more <laughs> kind of same with uh, Sam you, you want to see dragons you want to see bebop music going with the urinals like, there's a lot of these little peaceful interludes the the guy the gang is kind of as a contemplating all the supernatural there's really nobody alive anymore that doesn't believe in the supernatural, right? Yeah. Like, pretty much all the characters have been mind-blown well, on one thing or another. Not Jay. I don't think Jamie and Cersei, I don't think that's even on there. I think when they say winter is coming, they don't think that means the White Walkers. I just think they that means snow. But they have, you know, the mountain as an example. Of true, like true, that. true. Out of whack, the, yeah. the interesting thing is how Euron's influence might come into that. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. You know, we saw this whole thing with, with, with Cersei and Euron. Euron, if, if you watch the, uh, the season six Blu-ray history and lores, he's seen many things 
that are not necessarily common, if you know what I'm saying. And and right. not just humanistic ritually, but or humanistic rituals, but things that are strange. And so I I would like to see, and I don't know that it will happen, but I would like to see Euron influencing Cersei and Jamie more towards the supernatural, if he gets a chance to. Yeah, well. As accepting and utilizing it, or participating? Well, just, just making them aware of it. Um, because I, I, th- I think that, that that's the key turn, is, is that we either have to see Cersei in total denial and, and ultimately have to be innate, eliminated because of that total denial, and Jamie as well, or we have to see one or the two of them understanding what the bigger problem is. And, and in that way, I hate to say this, I almost see Cersei having a redemption by the fact that she comes to understand what the real problem is. That would be the ultimate redemption. I think if there's any one ultimate redemption to happen, it would be with Cersei understanding that it is mankind against whatever this is out here, and and we need to do something about it. Uh, Otherwise, uh, her character has to perish just as all of... And Steve, I agree with you. Many of the characters who are oblivious or who in de- they're in denial, they have perished. And, and so Cersei has to fall in one column or the other. And I, I feel like that, that would be a great redemption story for Cersei if she manages to survive all of the other stuff, which is questionable, of course. Well, what do you think about this, Matt? I, I have, a, I have a, uh, an alternative there that we've been discussing, which is... Is it possible, and it made me, and I think, and I'm now saying that uh, I thought of it before, but then it happened in the show, and I could be just using something to, you know, my point to stand up, but um, if the quest becomes immortality, immortality, um, the White Walkers can offer that. And I, is well, that, she, that is and interesting. with Euron too, you're right. Euron is into like, I just think that we may be entering that realm, even though I love your idea. If they could pull off Cersei becoming a hero, like, you know, the enemy of my enemy with, with Jon Snow and even Danny, I think that would be awesome. But I also think it's a possibility that she looks at something like this and says, finally says this is greater than me you mm-hmm. know? and, and yeah. succumbs you think to it's, it. uh, but you think it's possible my only question is is how could she communicate that to say like the night king any better than anybody else could uh have there not been wildlings offering themselves up to to them uh uh to the to the white walkers a crasher and and all of his baby boys um, it didn't do them any good at the end. The White Walkers didn't come to defend them. The White Walkers didn't change them into immortals. Uh, and I, I don't feel like the White Walkers are, by whatever restriction that the, the children of the forest have placed on the White Walkers, they're not able to communicate what their true needs are. And I think that there are needs, and I, I don't see, I've heard you say many times, and I've even thought myself, 
that the White Walkers are much more complex than just pure evil. But I don't know that, uh, you know, I, I also like the fact that Mike Hall was saying, like, can't we just have somebody who just, you know, it's like the children of this forest screwed up and and they've created this Frankenstein monster that we just can't contain anymore. You know, it, it's like the, somehow the, the, those, some kind of virus created the zombies and now you just can't control them. You just have to kill them. Uh, I don't think that that's beyond the realm of possibility, but at the same time, I don't see Cersei being able to get herself away from it any different than anybody else. Okay. Okay. Uh, what do you think, Steve? You think, um, I mean, look, I'm just throwing it out there because I, I agree with the, the original premise, which is that, um, the kind of the, the, the whole theme of the show is you get with the program or you die. And everyone has to get with the final program, which is it doesn't matter who sits on the Iron Throne because there's just about to be no people. You know what I mean? So like, it doesn't really matter. Um, but uh, what, what, you were you were going to say something there about well, it, uh, it this idea? It's um, Euron has knows about the white, you know, the White Walkers and how they offer mortality. And if that is, I don't know what his like game is really. He seems to not really need Cersei. And why would he get caught up in the war with Danny? You know, like so much going on. Maybe he is trying to kind of like lay in wait for an opportunity to kind of beat the Night's King at their own game or become some fulfillment of a prophecy that only he knows about and he's like duping Cersei into like as bait almost for them for his like ultimate goal of being an immortal it's interesting yeah I remember hearing you guys talk about that on the initial reaction podcast yeah it was fun man it was fun alright cool do you have anything else that you want to add Steve uh, the only thing, um, you know, with Sam, the uh, that little bebop thing they did with him cleaning up the yeah. pails and everything, that was a little, I thought that was, you know, I got into it in a weird way. It's like showing <laughs> the monotony of studenthood, you know, like summing it down to just repetition. But um, I was glad when he like, got the books and it was interesting, the book you know, that Gilly was reading. And I was wondering if that was going to come into play or if that was just kind of uh, an aside. It was called, like, The Legend of the Long Night. You know? And, like, Sam kind of brushed her off, but it seems like it's pertinent to what's going on. And and did she get that book from the locked-up books or was that from uh, just the general collection? I didn't yeah. like it that. Any book he would have had her pour through would have been something that he collected from the locked up books. Right. But um, the fact that he dismissed it means that we might re- revisit it again because Gilly's always right. Come on. This girl knows right. what she's right. <laughs> Cool, cool. All right. Steve, thank you for calling in, brother. We appreciate it. All right. Thank you. 
Thanks for listening. And uh, Dara Gailey's. Steve out. Awesome. That was great, man. He had some great points. Um, yes, all right. he did. All right, Matt, it's just you and me sitting here on the, uh, I think, I don't know if we're going to have any more callers tonight. It's been a long okay. time since I've been sitting in front of this uh, talk shoe board. Um, <laughs> but uh, it is fun. Um, I don't know. I just want to kind of, I want to give you an opportunity, Matt, to uh, to just bring up anything you want and talk a little bit because, uh, I mean, you're Matt. You have great ideas about this stuff. And if you want to venture into, do you have a hankering to venture into any book stuff? I mean, don't spoil me on any no. big points or anything, but... Right, right. Uh, we could give a warning and go into that if you want to. I know the I know book readers love you. Yeah. Well, there there were many book reader shout outs, but I think any book reader that's listening to us right now caught those and and that's fine. And I don't think we really need to discuss it because it's not most of them were not pertinent to plot. They were actually just shout outs. And I thought that that was fantastic that Dave and Dan do that kind of thing. Um, but the thing that I wanted to talk to you about, Axel, and, and um, uh, something that I found very poignant in this episode was John and Sansa. Um, yeah. Their arguments about what to do about House Cardstark and, and, and I don't remember the other house. Umber. But, uh, Umber. Umber and Cardstark. I thought that that, that, reminded me so much of many, many, not only book reader conversations, but even television conversations uh, that Bubba from the, the Joffrey podcast and I would have about what is the better decision here? And Sansa was a bit extreme. And I, I love that because I feel like it truly tells the journey that she's gone through in terms of of she has been hurt so many times that why tolerate the possibility of that kind of hurt coming back? I also love the fact that she told John that he had to be smarter than Ned, that he had to be smarter than Rob, which is an absolute truth. We saw what blind clinging to a notion of honor did to both of those people. And I, I, I loved that she was trying to pull John towards the gray area. Ultimately though, I feel like John made the right decision in terms of what he did with the car start and Umber houses. How do you feel about that? Um, you know, I was thinking about this, uh, a little bit today because actually I, I listened to a little bit of uh remember what it was a pie. I think it was actually bald move. I was listening to a little bit of their initial reaction. They were kind of discussing it. And it occurred to me also jumping off a little bit of what you said about kind of how Sansa was kind of presenting herself, you know, um, is I don't know what the right answer is. But I know mm -hmm. that the way John behaved was the right way. So, for instance, I could see John saying, your houses have been with us for many years, but this is the, 
this is the long night. We need those who will stand with us against any, you know, blah, blah, blah. Right. And he can say, you'll be treated well, you'll be given somewhere to live, but you know, and maybe if they showed that it was the kids, then we could be having a whole different conversation about how John was protective of a newer generation. You know what I mean? Like, so in effect, what I mean is that it's, it's, she was right when she said, you're good at this because he's good at it. And she's not really, uh, she's not really good at it right now, you know, and she's learning. And, uh, I think that, I mean, I think it shows too. And I said this last night, the way that she was talking a little finger, um, you know, you have to, that's in one breath, you say that you need the guy because of his army and he just saved you. And then in the next, you're being really snotty and kind of childish to him, you know? So, um, I mean, I think that she's still in this journey of figuring out, um, you know, where she stands. Um, but uh, so far, again, don't so, see. So you felt that Sandra was being snotty or childish to Littlefinger rather than blissfully aware of what he was after? Uh, yeah, because, Mel, maybe, I mean, look, it is Littlefinger, okay? So he kind of would probably get off being talked to like that, and that may have an element of it too, um, because, like, you know, she knows what he wants. He wants her. And... um. I think that he, I mean, he wants power, but I think he wants her too. But I just think that I still don't find her tactics to be um, graceful. No, I agree with that. Her tactics are not graceful, but they're honest and they're open. And she even admitted that she learned a lot from Cersei. Um, Yeah, but is that a good thing? I don't know if it's not, I, 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 but, but let me, let me tell you, I don't honestly know that some of the things that Cersei passed on to her were not good pieces of advice. Yeah. Um, I, well, I do true, feel yeah. like that, that, that Sansa, um, like you said, is still under a learning curve and may be susceptible to extremes. But I, I mean, how can you disagree with her when she says, you've got to be smarter than my father. You've got to be smarter than Rob. Oh yeah. Look, I'm not trying, I'm not painting her. I'm not saying that she's completely incapable or, you know, I think that she did have some insights there and what she said to John was important. And I agree with her that he would do well to seek her counsel on certain things, you know? Yes. But I also think interrupting him in front of everybody, um, uh, pointing out um, uh, someone being a traitor when her brother killed people. That's what started it. You know what I mean? Like it's it's like kind of pouring salt on. It just wasn't it, it didn't. And then I, I feel the same way with Littlefinger. And I just think she's got to figure it out. But to me. If I'm just looking at this as it is on the show, I think that we may be headed for, do you think that we're headed for a kind of uh, John V. Stanza thing? Or do you think that this is a fake out? Well, I think that Sansa is actually 
just keeping as many things at bay as she yeah, can. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and she's thinking about protecting what she has. And that was the, the whole implication about going towards John and saying, you should just kill these houses off or at least give their, their lands up to people who you know are loyal to you. That was about self-protection because she got sold out to Ramsey Snow by yeah. Littlefinger. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Um, at the same time, um, her methods were extreme, and, and that may be a little bit of the Cersei influence as well. Um, but Cersei's, Cersei, what, what she learned from Cersei was about the protection of Cersei's children, the protection of the continuing on. And I think that that's Sansa actually in the long game is thinking about that. And I think the fact that Sansa acknowledged that John was good at what he did means that she trusts him still. I don't see this extreme division that other people are seeing just because she voices her opinion. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they're play. They are. I mean, Look, I mean, it's a story and people find, people see cues and we're all, we've all become more educated. And when you get the shots to Littlefinger and looking to her and looking at him and looking at John, and then they have a conversation with Littlefinger, you know what I'm saying? I mean, there, it's a bit, it's there. You can't deny it. I think it could go either way. I don't think there's enough evidence in what we've seen so far. What we've seen is that Sandra doesn't trust Littlefinger at all. She trusts her brother. She loves him, but she's trying to figure out her place in all of this. And also, like you say, she's very defensive, which she has a a right to be. And uh, she is, you know, really the only person I think she kind of trusts at this point is Brienne. So, you know, totally and completely, because I think she also realizes that John would is going to put this battle above everything else, above their family, above. You're right. I think she is thinking about things like who's going to continue on at Winterfell, where John's kind of like, who cares about Winterfell? The White Walkers are coming. Yeah. Well, you know? and, and, and that's where I give John credit, because John is thinking about all of humanity. He's, he's thinking yeah. beyond and that's his thing his own stature yeah um and but I can't hold it against Sansa no. for being like most of us would be you know okay a great tornado is coming and it's going to kill 1100 people but we have this cellar that we can survive in you know that that's that's the kind of thing, that's the kind of mentality that I feel like Sansa is in right now. And um, it's human. And, and that's one of the things that I absolutely love about it, despite the wig. Yeah. <laughs> cool, man. Cool. Um, <laughs> what, uh, anything else you want to chat about, brother? Man, uh, it's just so much. <laughs> this episode was so chock full of just such great, fantastic stuff. I I loved uh, I loved the whole Brand's vision of 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 the White Walkers coming, and it was literally a J.R.R. Tolkien reference, uh, which we all know was a big influence on George R. R. Martin. 
and, you know, the whole cloud coming over first, and then we go through the cloud, and then we see the White Walkers. Um, it was so Mordor. It was it was just incredible. Um, visually, this episode was fantastic. Um, for me, emotionally, this episode was fantastic. I know a lot of people uh, made comments about the score, and I actually thought that Jawadi did a fantastic job, especially with the hound and uh, Thoros digging those graves, or, or was it Thoros or was it Beric? I don't remember now, but I, I mean, just having that, that honor theme, you think about the Think about the musical irony of this. We have this theme that's about honor that we've heard with tagged with Brienne for so many years in this show. Right. And, now, this theme is applied while the hound is digging a grave for two people that he ultimately feels responsible as to why they died. Yeah. That is the kind of musical irony that presents itself. Uh, and, and this is just a minor facet of what the whole production is. <laughs> but the, the fact that you think about the irony of, of the hound looking into the thing that he fears most and seeing something and the irony of the fact that he had just faced off with Brienne and lost. And now we hear that same theme that is so associated with Brienne and Jamie being placed on him as he's digging these graves. I, I thought that Javadi was just absolutely magnificent in this episode with what he did musically. And if you don't like it, well, you know, tweet me at Musical Concepts and bleep you. <laughs> All right, buddy. All right, man. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. Um, I, you, you know, as you say, the production, that's something that I can't overstate is how amazing just watching the show and you see the number of locations, um, the number of uh, actual sets, the 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 seamlessness between um, the real and the CG. And it's just, you can't tell it's, it's, it's world-class man, you know, and the acting and all that goes along with it down to like, the costumes. I was just obsessed with that. Oh, um, but just, down to, uh, I, I don't remember the actor's name that plays Walter Frey, David something. Um, he did his performance just off enough that the second he came on screen, you knew that this was not a flashback, yeah. right? And so it, it was just like, it was just, just the, just the smile yeah. even, you know, yeah. it, it was, it was You're right an about amazing that, acting job. Yeah. He, he, he was so just like, it was, it was uh... him. But it wasn't him, you know, it's just amazing. You know, when you say it, it's like, it was like he brought it up a little, uh, a little bit, like normally it would have been like, arr, arr, you know, and it was like, arr, arr, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah. It was like, so subtle, but yeah. it was amazing. Knew that, that incident is like, wait a minute. This, okay. This is not a flashback. This is, this is, this is, this has got to be Aria. You know, it was just amazing. Yeah. Now I want to point out. And I'm not going to take credit for anything. There's no hot take here, Matt. Okay, I promise. You know, not, don't. I hate me. hot takes. You know don't how yell, I hate hot don't takes. yell at me. Um, but so 
I guess I don't I didn't watch the after little thing because I watched it on HBO and I didn't I don't I didn't watch the trailer yet because I knew I was going to do the I don't like to watch the trailer if I'm going to do the podcast because I feel like uh-huh. I'm going to just kind of start talking about that you know um, but anyway so I guess what they said is that this was not the original cold open. And I want to say that in reference to what Steve was saying about the Sam thing. Now, yes, in the preview podcast, I did predict that we would start with Sam. Okay. But I had a, I had a different idea, but (laughs) I do want to say though, it does make sense in, in learning that if you take the, the way that that Sam part was edited and how they have really not done too much of that in this series um Mm -hmm. it does make sense to have that actually be the cold open i have to say that it it does because it shows the passage of time yeah yes but yep yep. the 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 key thing is if if they had it in a different order then they actually would have had to make the first aria scene that was the cold opener a flashback because I think he said it had only been two weeks since the last feast, which have, which would have been with Jamie Lannister, right? Um, but we can tell just by the Sam montage that much more time has passed in just two weeks. Yeah, and yeah. so uh, you know, so it actually, what I understand, and I did watch the the thing afterwards, the inside thing. Um, basically, what Dave and Dan said was we didn't intend for this to be the same thing or to be the opener. Um, and I guess they had thought that it would be kind of like this little flashback and then just go straight into the Aria scene with the Lannister soldiers, probably. But, um, and I don't know what that means as far as the first scene. I agree with you that, that the Sam scene makes sense as the first scene because it shows that time has passed. There's no way that Danny's fleet gets all the way across the narrow sea in less than four weeks. So, uh, at least a month has to have passed by the end of the episode. Um, and, and, and Sam, uh, basically with all of that crap, you know, you, you know, the time has passed. Plus the baby looks older. Plus everything's going on there that, that shows the time has passed. Um, that's a good point, but, man. Uh, that, that's the a fact, good point. the fact that, yeah, the fact that Arya, uh, as Walder Frey says, it's only been two weeks since, I I did it. It actually chronologically, regardless of whether that was a reasoning or not, but it actually chronologically makes more sense to have that as the cold opening. Yeah. And also, it's also ridiculous of us to kind of theorize on that because you don't know when in the process that they decide, you know what I mean? So it's... Oh, yeah. You know, so you don't know. It could have been that they decided that like two days after they were like, no, it shouldn't be. And then like the next day they're like, no, it should be. And they didn't even write it yet. So (laughs) you never know. Yeah, they just said and and they did it. And this is what I love based on what they said. Anyway, Dave and Dan said based on the way that this actor did Walter Frey just so queerly. Oh, okay. They thought that so that was it was so after cool. it was shot. It was after it was shot. Okay. It was after That's it was shot. It was That's after it was shot. They, they, they did it in the editing process. Um, <laughs> what were you, I'm just, I'm they, just laughing that they, they the saw, they saw the actions. Yeah, they saw the way this guy acted this part, and they were just like, 
how can you not make this yeah. the opening? It worked, um, man. So, it really worked. Yeah. I, I thought it was awesome. I thought it was fantastic. And it did for me, it helped me in a way too, because like I was saying, I was excited that I was, that I was into the Arya story and I liked upon the rewatch. I really enjoyed it. And, um, I was cool. It was cool for me to see that. And it was also a badass scene, the whole, that, like you're saying, the acting, everything, even her at the end was great. It was fantastic. Yeah. All right, man. Well, I'm going to wind this puppy down. We're going to, uh, we're going to hit that button and there it's going to say the call has now ended. Um, but I want to thank you, Matt, for coming on. Um, Hey, where you been at? Let's take a moment to check in with Matt. You know, we know that you left the podcast to go on the road. Where you been? Where you going? What are you playing? How's it been, man? We're deep in the south of Florida, sweating our butts off, and uh, we've we've been uh, playing uh, the last three, four nights. We were at uh, Inglewood, Florida. We were at Fort Myers, Florida. We were in Key Largo. Key Largo, Florida. Uh, we're currently in Orlando, and we will be in Pensacola on Wednesday, in Tallahassee on Friday, Atlanta, Georgia on Saturday. Look for James Armstrong Band. Oh, look at that shameless book. There you go. All right. That's awesome, man. Living the life on the road in sweaty Florida. Mm-hmm. It's hot down here, but man, uh, not as hot as some of your all's hot takes. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you very much, buddy. <laughs> all right, everybody. Well, hey, I want to take the time to thank everybody that came uh, into the chat. Iron Trone, Fizzlehoff, we had, uh, I think, five other people that came in. Uh, that's nice. I know that this was on West Coast time. So, um, those of you who had been listening, uh, years previous expect that when DJ Tim Hines returns next week, um, that we will be on East coast time. So you're going to have, uh, probably a little bit more of those more familiar callers, uh, and, uh, but maybe not the most familiar, which is Mr. Matt. Thanks everybody for listening and downloading. This has been fun. DJ Tim Hines will be back next week. Sayonara, Dara Gailey's. Thank you for listening to Podcast Winterfell. You can find the podcast at dvrpodcast.com. You can support us on Patreon at patreon.com backslash dvr. You can email the podcast, podcastwinterfell at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at Winterfell Pod and on Facebook. Podcast Winterfell.